For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? Uh, But grab your Bibles if you would. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one for you in the back. It's our gift to you. Take that, please. Also, it's printed for you in your bulletin, so you can follow along there. Uh, Galatians is in the New Testament, if you don't know. It's towards the back of the Bible, right? So you've got Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. Okay? Certainly the short straw on this particular challenge, because we're going to be talking about racism. And it's really difficult, right? Um, but it's important to hear from God's Word today on this. And it's, and it's controversial, and it's avoided by many of us, including the church, because of fear of offending others, right? So when you hear the word racism, many of us, it creates discomfort, awkwardness even. I assure you it's about to get worse, so don't worry, that's coming. Uh, hold on with me, please, right? Because I know that many of you right now may even be going, oh no, Jason, really? We got to talk about this? And maybe even looking for the door, but I, but I ask you to hang tight. Because we all need to hear this today. Uh, let's be honest. We, we all like to think that we embrace diversity. But look around this room. The majority of the people in this room are monochromatic. Right? They're white. Did you know that on any given Sunday, 90% of the church is monocultural? One race. Right? And I don't say this to heap guilt on you or, to, or, or shame even. But I do want to bring the light of God's word to our hearts this morning and let it illuminate the dark corners of our souls, hopefully leading us to faith and repentance. And if I'm honest with you, I I need to hear this more than anyone, right? Because I'm a recovering racist. Outwardly, if you know me, outwardly, right, I I appear to be this, you know, maybe a self, you know, sort of enlightened white male, who has uh, many friends who don't look like me. But if you know my history, if you know my internal thoughts in life, it reeks. It reeks of evil. It reeks of hate. Mostly lived out through my silence on this very issue that we as Christians are called to stand up and speak into. And so as I was preparing for this particular uh, passage over the last several weeks, I found it a bit ironic that I've even struggled with this issue because I, I'm Puerto Rican. I don't look like it, but my mother's Puerto Rican. And so I look like my father. But whether I like it or not, I have Latino blood in me and it runs deep, right? And if you know me well, a few of you do, it runs what we like to say in my family, muy caliente, right? Very hot. And so I can get passionate sometimes about a lot of different things. That's part of who I am. It's how God has made me. It images him. And so it's beautiful. That's for the inside, right? But also, if you don't know me, uh, I've been a police officer for the past 15, almost 16 years for the city of Waynesboro. And so I, unfortunately and sadly, 
have viewed others through the lens of us versus them. And I've lived through the crucible of, of street violence. And I've seen its ugly impact on neighborhoods and on people of all races. And so I have a unique insight into today's topic. Much like you, and honestly, perhaps more than you, I need to hear what God has to say to this very issue, okay? Stand with me, if you would, in honor of God's Word. And let's hear what Paul has to say about this. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. This is the Word of God. It is true, it's life-giving, and it's our only rule and authority in life. You ready? Okay, here we go. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified let's pray father we ask you to come today and through the power of your holy spirit do what only you can do which is speak into the dark recesses of our hearts illuminate our souls with the power of your gospel for truly it is good news Do this so that we can all lean into the freedom we have through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let none of us leave here unchanged. Give me strength to speak your words of truth today. I am weak, and I'm in need of your grace and your mercy. And so I ask this in the great and holy name of Jesus, our Redeemer King. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Listen, before... Before we jump into the text, I think it's really important to look a little bit at the backstory, right? It's always good to know where we've been and where we're going and in what context are we even talking about anything, right? And so it's really important to see where Peter has been and where this epic confrontation occurs. Now, Paul switches focus from the previous chapters in Galatians, and we've been going through them over the last couple of weeks during this season uh, and the series called Freedom, where, where Paul was standing with Peter in Jerusalem, right? We just looked at that last week when we talked about legalism. And now, Paul is standing against Peter in Antioch. And so, I, I think it's really helpful to understand a little bit about this city. It's not by happenstance that we're talking about the city of Antioch here in this section. So, Antioch is this Gentile city, right? It's a beautiful city and it's diversity, And so verse 1, Paul sets the stage right up front. He says, Peter came to Antioch. And so it's important to stop there and look a little bit about this city, right? Antioch is in Syria. So in the Roman world, it was the third largest city of the world. And it had more than 500,000 people in it. And scholars tell us that it was a diverse place where, uh, where culture and finance were at the epicenter of this eastern part of the Roman Empire. And But the church there 
reflected this diverse reality of its city. And you don't have to flip over, but to gain a better insight into what the church there looked like, you have to read in Acts chapter 13. Right in verse 1 there, it sets the stage. It tells us a little bit about the church leadership. It says this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here we have listed the leadership of the Christian church in this diverse city of Antioch. We have Barnabas, a Jew, Simeon called Niger. Now, Niger's Latin for black, so what color do you think his skin was? You got Lucius of Cyrene, he's a Libyan, and then you have Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, this wealthy dude, right? This rich guy. And then you have Saul, a cosmopolitan Jew, all diverse. And so, to be very clear, you have both Jews and Gentiles in the church leadership in this diverse city of Antioch, and they all look different. And they were a diverse leadership which reflected the community, the city, in which they were placed by God. And so in this city, you had racial diversity, you had economic diversity, you had educational diversity, and so you did in the leadership of the church there. Now, Rick says this all the time, for those of you who have been here a couple times, so you know uh, that it's important to understand who a Jew is and who a Gentile is. So Jews are the friends and family of God, right? Everyone else, Gentile. An enemy of God. So just to be clear, unless you have Jewish blood in you, that's us, my Gentile friends, right? We were called enemies of God. We were hated, we were despised, alienated, and cursed by the Jewish culture. And in Acts chapter 7, the birthplace of the church, God's people were scattered to where? To this diverse city of Antioch. It's this huge melting pot. But it gets better. It's also in Antioch that we learn in Acts chapter 11 that the disciples and followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now this is huge, right? They didn't have a word for this before. This is the first time you hear followers of Jesus being called Christians. And they were different, right? They had to make up a word for them because they were not only so different, but they transcended any cultural distinction that they had at the time. They were no longer grouped together by socioeconomic status or race or nationality, but something completely different. Their identity now was found by being part of the family of God, not in being African, Greek, Roman, rich or poor. And they were growing in number every day. And Gentiles were were repenting, they were placing their faith in Jesus, and this, honestly, if you were a first century uh, Jew, this was extraordinary, right? And it's in this place that the showdown between Paul and Peter begins. So let's look at the problem, all right? Look down at verse 11. Paul opposes Peter publicly. He says this, I opposed him to his face because he, Peter, stood condemned. Now stop right there. Could you imagine? Right, this is crazy. Here you have an apostle, a giant of the early church, one of the favorites of Jesus, and he gets publicly told in front of the whole church, you're wrong. What? Paul should never have had to do this to Peter. But he did. Because Peter had changed in a very significant way. And I think it's really helpful to understand first that that Peter, before he too hard on him, had gotten it right before, right? God had sent him a vision in Acts chapter 11. 
He told Peter to go, to kill and eat. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so Peter goes out. He's obedient to God's word. Right? He meets Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Cornelius repents. He's born again. And Peter later went and started eating with the Gentiles. He catches, holy heck, for doing it, right? In Acts chapter 11, verse 2. Jews were angry with them. And they, and they had every right to be angry because in, in their context, it would have been crazy, absolutely absurd for any first century Jew to even understand why Peter would have started eating with the Gentiles in the first place. Yet Peter had. He sat across people who looked and lived different from him, and he ate with them. Now, eating together in the first century was much more than just lunch at a Burger King, right? It, it really meant sharing life together, being family. And so in the Jewish culture, it was scandalous for any Jewish person to be seen eating at, at all with any Gentile, right? Scandalous, and because it was, it, was, it was against the ceremonial law that was given in Leviticus. Now, you have to understand that diet was one of the main distinctions of being Jewish, right? Scholars remind us that you couldn't keep what they call table fellowship with with any Gentile because the food that they ate, you weren't supposed to eat or even touch. This was one of the things that marked the Jews as the people of God. But then the gospel comes in and tells us that Jesus set aside these restrictions because he fulfilled them. And Peter knew this very well. He He had hung out with Jesus. He knew that. He knew that being a follower of Jesus was countercultural. He had early told the Jews in Acts chapter 15 that the Gentiles were made clean by what? By faith. And so he ate with them. He shared life with them. And he did this to show everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, that in Christ, no one is unclean. No one. And this, I really believe, what make, is what makes Paul so angry with Peter when he comes to Antioch. Paul doesn't care about him eating with the Gentiles on the surface, right? It may look like that Paul opposes him just because he stopped eating, but there's a deeper issue that Paul is getting at that makes him so upset, and he has to confront Peter on it. Okay, so what's Peter's problem? That's what I'd be asking myself. What's his problem? In verse 12, we see the answer. Peter was driven to fall out of line with the gospel because of fear. Look down in verse 12. It says this. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now stop there. Did you catch that? Peter's racial pride, motivated by fear of others and what his Jewish friends would think of him, led him to abandon his convictions about what makes him right before God. This is hypocrisy 101, right? We know this. We do it. And so Peter hid behind his religious customs and practices to separate himself from from people who he believed were inferior to him, who couldn't be as right as he was because he was Jewish. And this, my friends, is racism. There's no other word to describe it. Matt Chandler, lead pastor of the Village Church, defines racism this way, and I think it's great. He says this, The essence of racism is a dehumanization of people. We are superior to. Right? So you fill in the blank. White people, black people, Latinos, Asians, rich, poor. And the list goes on and on. Are you with me? 
need you to check back in if not, right? Because it goes a lot deeper than this. Peter's racism has effects, as all sin does. And it leads others into hypocrisy. Look down at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews, it says this, and the rest of the Jews acted what? Acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now let's stop there for a second. Peter's racism and sin of withdrawing and separating himself doesn't just affect him. It leads others to follow him. And it becomes confusing for others to see this because we just talked about how Peter had once gotten it right. So let's personalize it for a second so we stop talking about Peter and Paul, right? When people don't see, listen up, when people don't see unity with people who look different from me in my life, in your life, my friends, your friends, my family, your family, our church and the city of Stanton are all confused. Listen, I claim to follow Jesus. I claim to be a Christian. That what defines me is an independent I mean, is a dependent relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet my silence on this very issue of race and lack of real relationship with people who don't look like me confuses others. Right? And so I ask you, who who are you confusing? Who gets led astray in your life? And who are the losers? To be clear, friends, our, our disobedience has consequences. And so I can understand, honestly, why the skeptics look at the church on this particular issue and they laugh at us, right? Because just like Peter, we have confused practices that we associate with being the people of God. And so don't answer this now, but I really want you to think about this hard. And you can even write this down if you want uh, as a takeaway for you to think through. What, what are the cultural practices that we associate with being Christian that keeps us from reconciliation and unity with our brothers and sisters who do not look like us. I'm going to ask that again. What are the cultural practices that we associate with being Christian that keeps us from reconciliation and unity with our brothers and sisters who do not look like us? Now, don't answer now. But I really challenge you to think about this. In light of what we've heard here from God's word as Paul confronts Peter. Okay? So hang with me. In verse 14, here we go. Paul slams Peter. I mean, like, if you follow wrestling, right? Hulk Hogan would slam people, right? This is what he does. Boom! He slams them, right? This is what happens. Paul, Paul doesn't care a hell of beans about Peter being rude. Or saying, hey, man, why don't you eat bacon sandwiches anymore with your Gentile bros from Antioch? That's not what he's saying, right? Instead, he gets to the heart of the issue of racism for all people. But especially for those who claim to know And follow Jesus. Check out what he says in verse 14. He says this. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said the steepest before them all. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Crap. Can I I say that? Sorry. Anyway, crap. Uh, He just laid bare Peter's heart, right? Just, I mean, just laid it bare. And, and if you're honest, he's laid bare yours and mine too. Because Peter had fallen out of step with the gospel. He wasn't walking straight. He thought wrongly that to really please God, 
His national heritage trumped everything, and everyone had to be like him, Jewish. This is legalism. We looked at it last week. This is legalism and racism at its finest. Do you see it? Paul is not attacking Peter based solely on his racism. Certainly what Peter's doing is racist, but Paul is addressing him based on what? On justification. What makes him right before God? He's trying to show him that Peter's looking to the color of his skin, the family he was born into, and the practices of his culture to make him right before God. Therefore, in Peter's mind, he couldn't hang out with the Gentiles anymore without his righteousness being challenged. Now, before you're too hard on Peter, think long and hard. We do it too. I do it too. We do it every day. And when we do it, it always results in pride and fear. And this ultimately leads us to exclude others and seclude ourselves with people who look and act like us. Because if we're honest, it's easier. Of course, right, we've cleaned it up some, as all good self-righteous people do, right? We're fine with sitting next to someone who looks different in church. Heck, we're even polite about it. We feel good about ourselves, and we say, see, I'm for diversity. But do you invite them into your life? Do you share meals together in your home or theirs? Do you call them up on the phone when you're in crisis because they're your actual real friends? Listen, it is so easy to be integrated on the surface, but segregated in our hearts. Let me say that again, because you got to hear this. It's so easy to be integrated on the surface, but segregated in our hearts. I know. I struggle with this. Okay? But listen, our lives must reflect the full artistic and creative brilliance of God by sharing life together. By sharing life with whites, with blacks, Hispanics, wealthy people, poor people, educated people. Dare I say even Democrats or Republicans. Right? Because if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we must walk in step with the gospel that we say we believe. Because the gospel is truth. It has implications and claims on every aspect of our life. And it sets a claim on us, not what we've done but on what Jesus has done through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Now listen, for most of you in the room here, you intellectually know what the gospel is, right? You've heard it a thousand times. But I gotta ask you, have you really listened? Have you really believed? Or have you let your supposed cultural superiority and morality define you? Now others of you may be sitting here and saying, Jason, I, I don't believe this Jesus stuff at all. You're asking yourselves, what the heck is the gospel, this Christianese word? Well, I'm going to tell you, so listen up. I heard the gospel best explained this way by Pastor Leon's Crump at the Renovation Church in Atlanta. He says this, the gospel is good news that Jesus came to earth as a man, lived perfectly, died tragically, rose triumphantly, resurrected gloriously so that we can do what? Be called into his family. That's the gospel. Did you catch what the gospel is not? It doesn't say anything about who you shouldn't eat with and who you should and shouldn't date and marry because of what they look like and who you should and shouldn't walk with and who you should and shouldn't do life with. It never sets those prerequisites. It just extends grace and mercy to a fallen people bent on independent living. 
God is the one who rescues broken, messed up, self-righteous, arrogant, hypocritical people like you and me. Because in the end, God is the one who forms his family. This beautiful tapestry of diversity that is a delight to our Savior. Now, now that we're all beat up, right? Maybe fighting feelings of guilt, shame, or even anger, heck. Much like, I guess, Peter, Peter might have felt. Let's hear Paul's answer to this problem of not walking in line with the gospel, right? Look down at verses 15 to 16. This is, this is the most important part. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is more concerned here with Peter's heart than with his behavior. That's what the gospel does. It's not about here to do behavior modification. It radically changes your heart. It gives you a new one, right? And so he tells him in verses 15 to 16, you are not in God's family because of your race or your culture. Your self-perceived betterness and righteousness is nothing to God. Listen up. Your, your bank account, your, your job title, how hard you work, whether you're Christians or in Christian school or not, or homeschool or not, or how you vote, or, or what great enlightened blog you've just written or read, or how many likes you get on Facebook are worthless to God. Now listen, these things are not bad by themselves. But when we elevate them and we make them into what defines us, we are not in step with the gospel of Jesus. To be a Christian, you are saved by grace alone, through his faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way into the beautiful and diverse family of God. That's it. And if you're using your works, your ethnicity, and your culture to stand right before God, you lose everything and gain nothing. For those of you who believe this, and I don't care what color your skin is, I tell you here today that you don't need to separate yourself based on race and culture, seeking the approval of your monochromatic friends. You have Christ's approval because of what he has done for you. And what would that say to our friends, to your friends? What would that say to your families and my family, to our co-workers and to the city of Stanton if we actually live that out? Now listen, I could have stopped there and maybe some of you wishing I would have, right? Uh, But there's a call to more. Because this passage is so relevant for our lives today that we need to look at some very real applications for how to press forward into this dark issue of racism. We cannot be silent on it anymore. The church should not and will not be silent on it anymore. Right? So let me speak briefly to the Christians in the room. For those of you still checking out this Christian thing, I need to have a little in-house family discussion, right? Listen along too, because I hope it points you to a relationship with Jesus. But for those of us who have been redeemed, restored, and forgiven by Jesus and brought into his family, Paul has clearly taught all of us today that to separate ourselves based on race and culture is patently anti-Christian. 
and not in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my call to more. Let's be different, right? Imagine that. Simple on the surface. Let's be different. Let's start by inviting others into our lives over barbecues and on the basketball court. Or dare I say, even into our homes. Imagine that. For my white brothers and sisters here, listen up. It's going to be difficult. Let's start actually listening to our African-American friends and stop listening to Fox News and what CNN says. Right? Start listening to our Hispanic friends, to our Asian friends over the real impact of hundreds of years of injustice in their lives today. It's real and must not be glossed over in some sanitized white version of history. I mean, really, what are you afraid of? Now, others of us have far too long been so afraid to speak on this very issue that we've been silent, right? We fear that we're going to offend others, and so this silence has become a form of racism. And if we have any chance of living like the one worldwide family of God that he says we are, our relationships can no longer be driven by guilt or fear or silence. we got to change. we got to be different. Now, for my black, Hispanic, and Asian friends, I ask you to help us. Because we need you to be patient and to tell us where we need to be better. Listen, what, what happened in Ferguson recently has shown us that we're not. Whatever your thoughts on it are, we're clearly not. Not by a long shot, right? But also this, so hear me, hear me on this. Don't separate yourselves and say, these aren't my people. We are. Don't let your subculture define you any more than the dominant culture has, right? In Jesus, we are countercultural. We're called what? We're called Christians. We're all part of his family. This is not an us versus them issue. It's a we problem. So don't withdraw into a subgroup of people who are not part of your eternal family. Now, I'm not talking about assimilation. God has made you beautiful. You image him. Delight in that. But I do believe that God's word challenges us to check and see who and what we really believe gives us our identity. Is it our culture and neighborhood or is it Jesus? Lastly, and then we're done. For all of us, check back in with me, please. For all of us, the gospel offers a way to actually be curious about other people and their cultures. Because we don't have to defend our own, right? It's not our righteousness. The gospel says, help me understand. I don't, but I want to. And curiosity then leads to listening, which then leads us to real life on life conversations and true lasting friendships. Listen, we have to move beyond integration and into true community. This is what it means to be the family of God. We don't just smile and say hi and sit together and then don't share life. That's not community. Okay? Now, some of you might actually be called to move. Imagine that. Move into a neighborhood that does not look like you, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, or Asian. Not to say you have to be like me, but instead to say, I am with you. Will you be with me? Listen, this is the sad truth. All of our lives are just one Antioch confrontation away from division. It could happen to any of us. Don't think it's not going to happen to you at some point. It can, and it might. 
And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, don't let the culture laugh at us on this particular issue. It's too important. So they say, see, those Christians don't look or live any different than the rest of us. Why should I follow Jesus? The gospel calls all people to confess and repent of our indifference towards others and our racist thoughts and our actions. And when we live into the forgiveness that is freely offered to us in a relationship with Jesus by living a life of faith and repentance, our friends, our families, other churches, and the city of Stanton will see something different than they do on their TV sets or on the internet. They're going to see a people whose lives are marked by intimate, deep relationships that cross the lines of color and wealth and poverty. And when they see that, we will more fully mirror the beauty and diversity of God's family. Now listen, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be long work. But don't give up hope. We have a great hope in Jesus who gives us all things. And so we don't have to do this on our own and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Okay? Because if Jesus can change a guy like me, he can do it for you too. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your beauty. Thank you for calling us into your family, this one, wide, one worldwide church of Jesus Christ. That what defines us is a relationship with you through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection. So I pray that we would lean into the calling that you have given us by calling us your bride and move out into the city of Stanton and to the world so that people will encounter you, Jesus, as we have real relationships with them. That they would know you deeper as we share with them what's going on in our lives and as we listen to what's going on in theirs. And then ultimately that they would show the love of Christ to others. We thank you that you have rescued a broken arrogant, hypocritical, self-righteous people. And pray that you would forgive us of those things and help us to lean into the calling that you've given us. We ask all these things in the great and holy name of Jesus. Amen.